Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Depression is perhaps the most devastating of the devil's attacks upon our mind because with depression, it's sort of a combination of all the things that we're talking about. When a person goes into a deep depression, condemnation is part of it. Doubt. Minds often are plagued with doubt. Oftentimes, as I've said, the evil thoughts, blasphemous thoughts, perverse thoughts, destructive thoughts, fear, all of these things, they're, they're all components of it. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, in a message titled, Satan's War on the Mind, Part 2. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Now a sudden change came over me. The voice that was talking to me was that of the great enemy of mankind, though, of course, he was so sly that I could not perceive at the time that it was Satan. Many questions were proposed to me rapidly, one after another, and perplexed me so that I felt ill mentally and physically. He questioned thus, you are going to be baptized, aren't you? Do you know that as soon as you take this step, you will be cut off from your wife whom you love so dearly? She can never live with you again. Do you realize that your four children whom you are so fond of will never call you papa or look into your face again? Your brothers, sisters, and all your relatives will consider you dead and all their hearts will be broken forever. How can you be so cruel to your own flesh and blood? Your own people will despise and hate you. You are cutting yourself off from your people. You have no friends in this world. You will be left alone to drift like a piece of timber on the ocean. What will become of your name, your reputation, your official position? He goes on and he says, These thoughts put to me in the form of almost audible questions by Satan, whom I for the first time met as a personal enemy, distressed and almost unbalanced my mind. I could not sleep, neither could I eat. My friend who was with me noticing this tried to strengthen and encourage me in every possible way, but nothing availed. I knelt down in prayer to God, but the satanic delusion was as strong as before. So he goes on, he continues the story by describing what happened after he came to the point where he just more or less conceded defeat, like I, I can't do this, I can't go through this. So he went to the, the man who was to baptize him that day, or at least he was making his way to inform him that he wouldn't be able to follow through with it. And yet, at the same time, interestingly, there was a congregation that had heard about his conversion and knew that this was the day that he was to be baptized and they began to pray for him. And he didn't know it at the time. He received a letter later that informed him that the congregation had prayed for him at this specific time. They felt an urgency to pray for him. And he goes on to say that as they began to pray, suddenly the oppression lifted. And instead of canceling his appointment, he was baptized and made his public confession just as he had planned to do. Now, the interesting thing here is this man, Leopold Cohen, uh, went on to establish a, a thriving congregation in Brooklyn, New York, the early part of the 20th century. 
And he would lead thousands of Jewish people to faith in the Messiah. And so you see, the, the devil was there. Notice that rapid succession of thoughts. Your wife, you're going to lose her. Your kids, or you're never going to see, you're not going to have that relationship with them again. You're never going to see them again. Your friends, your community, that's the kind of thing the devil does. As we feel led by the Lord to take a step in a certain direction, oftentimes he comes with those irrational kinds of thoughts and he just, just rapid fire, uh, there they are, hitting us from every direction. If that's happened to you, know this, you've been assaulted by the devil. That's the kind of thing he does. He uses this fear tactic. Another story that I'll, I'll briefly tell that illustrates this point is back in the, the 1700s in England, there was the, the eight, it's called the 18th century revival now as they look back on it. But it was that time when God just radically poured out his spirit. Tens of thousands of people came to faith in Christ. And the two most prominent names involved in that 18th century revival were uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley. And Whitfield was the one that the revival really sort of actually began through. It was his preaching. And he would go and he would preach to the miners in the fields uh, around Bristol in England. And literally thousands upon thousands of people would come to hear him preach. So there was this great outpouring of the spirit that was happening. But Whitfield had to leave England and he had to come to what was then the, the colonies, the British colonies here on this continent. And yet he knew he couldn't just step away from the work. He knew that there had to be somebody that would come and, and take his role on because he, he could see that God was moving and you know there was a great work to be done. So as he thought about it and prayed about it, uh, his friend John Wesley came to mind. So he sent an invitation to Wesley asking him if he would take that position over, that he would be the one to go and continue this great preaching ministry that God had opened up uh, all throughout the countryside of England. And Wesley, the moment the invitation came, he was suddenly stricken with the fear that if he responded positively, if he said yes, that he would die. It would be certain death for him. And feeling that way, of course, he didn't, you know, he thought, well, this can't be God. You know, if this whole thing, you know, God must be telling me no, not to do it. And he opened his Bible on four different occasions looking for guidance. And every time the text seemed to affirm that he would certainly die if he did this. And he sought counsel from friends and fellow ministers. Everybody told him the same thing. Oh, don't do it. No, the Lord's showing you. He's warning you. It's not his will. You can't do it. Well, there, there was some so there was some other thing, God, you know, pressing him, sort of, you know, continuing to move him in the direction. Whitfield finally presses him for a final answer. And Wesley, against his own better judgment, he surrendered and said, I'll do it. And he said, I'll do it. And if I perish, I perish. And so John Wesley stepped in and he began to do that preaching and tens of thousands of people would come to Christ through his ministry. He did die 45 years later after an amazingly fruitful ministry. But I read that story in, um, it was actually in Whitfield's biography years ago, and it just so aptly illustrated this point of Satan trying to strike fear in us 
and threatening us with evil consequences for obeying and trusting God. And listen, he'll do the same thing to you. Be aware of that. But know this, how do we respond? Know this, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So when that spirit of fear comes upon you, when those thoughts in rapid succession come, telling you that, no, if you do this, this is going to happen. Know that that's the enemy. And if the enemy is pushing against us to try to prevent us from doing something, then you can be pretty certain that that's the very thing you need to do. Because that's the thing that God is wanting you to do. I have had this experience many times over in my life. And this passage, uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, has been what has carried me through so often and enabled me to just not be overcome by that fear and just to go forward, just say, no, God, God has not given us a spirit of fear. This irrational fear, uh, we call them phobias today, irrational fears. The word phobia is a Greek word, just means fear. But uh, it's those irrational fears. And again, quite often they come in rapid succession. So that is another way that Satan wars against us in our mind. But we come now to the final one that I want to address here, and that is depression. And along with depression, I'm going to combine discouragement and despair because it's a package. They all kind of go together. And depression is perhaps the most devastating of the devil's attacks upon our mind because with depression, he, it's sort of a combination of all the things that we're talking about. When a person goes into a deep depression, condemnation is part of it. Doubt, minds often are plagued with doubt. Oftentimes, as I've said, the evil thoughts, blasphemous thoughts, perverse thoughts, destructive thoughts, fear, all of these things, they're, they're all components of it. And so depression is something that the enemy often will uh, assault us with, and he's wanting to overwhelm us with a sense of hopelessness. Now, here's something that you need to know. Many of God's people throughout the ages have known what it is to be depressed. We have that record in the scripture itself. There's examples in the Bible. God's servants who experienced depression, and they even wrote about it. Both the psalmist and the apostle Paul experienced depression, as well as many others. Let me read to you from Psalm 77. Listen to what the psalmist said. If you've ever gone through any kind of serious depression, you're going to identify with this immediately. This is what he says. He says, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled. I cannot speak. I went through deep season of depression years ago as a result of this disease that I have lived with for a long time. Chronic fatigue syndrome, Epstein-Barr virus, they just finally came out and said, this is, uh, finally, <laughs> after 30 plus years, this is a disease. We, we, we have to stop calling it a syndrome. It's actually a disease. So they, they've come up now with a new uh, name for it. And 
I think that's good because it, it is a disease, and it, but, it, but it does affect many of its victims with uh, a, an attack on the central nervous system, which results many times in depression. So I have experienced this very thing that the psalmist wrote. And I'll never forget being in the midst of a deep depression and reading this and just simply being able to say, thank you, God, somebody else has been here. Thank you that somebody who wrote your word has been here. Because there are those times, those seasons when you, you, you can't sleep, you're deprived of your sleep, you're, you're filled with anxiety, you, you can't even speak sometimes. It can be that intense. That was the psalmist experience. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 1.8. He said concerning himself and his fellow workers, he said, we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. The apostle despairing of life. That sounds like a, a description of depression there. But it wasn't just the, the biblical writers, but on throughout the long history of the church, we have examples of God's servants who have suffered depression. The great poet and hymn writer William Cooper, the, the hymn that I think we would be maybe most familiar with would be the there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stains. He penned those words, but he suffered severely from depression, so much so that on a few occasions he attempted to commit suicide. And on one occasion, he was so despondent, he, he lived in London, and it was back in the early 1800s, mid-1800s, and he determined to kill himself by throwing himself off of, off of what was then the London Bridge into the Thames River. And so he got in his carriage. He had his driver, you know, take him. The driver didn't know what he was going to do. Take me to the London Bridge. It was a very foggy night. And after a long ride, the, the coach finally came to a stop. And it stopped right where it started, back at the house of William Cooper. God did not allow that carriage to go to the bridge because Cooper was going to jump off the bridge and kill himself. His pastor was another great hymn writer, John Newton, who wrote the immortal hymn, Amazing Grace. Newton realized at this point that the, the situation was so desperate that they had to do something for Cooper and what he did is for several consecutive weeks, he gathered the whole church together to pray specifically for William Cooper and for this agitated state that he was in. And after a season of prayer, that deep depression over him broke. And although he struggled the rest of his life with depression to some degree, he never again attempted to kill himself. And he was freed from that that type of deep depression that would have led him to that. So there's an example there. But then Spurgeon, we referenced Spurgeon in our previous message. And Spurgeon also suffered from depression. And this is what he said. He said, I of all men am perhaps the subject of the deepest depression, depression so fearful. I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. So deep depression. God's servants 
have gone through these things. This is part of what Satan does. Now, I'm not saying that every bout of depression is satanically inspired, but he often has a hand somewhere in these experiences, especially in the life of believers. There are many components to these things, but my point is we can't dismiss the devil. We can't overlook the devil. And when it comes to depression, the question, of course, is, well, how how do we deal with this? How do we overcome it? Well, first of all, we have to recognize that there are different sources for depression. And so we have to do our best to try to get at what the source is. And then depending on what the source is, we can deal with it from there. But um, like I said, there's always going to be this component. So we can always safely say that when it comes to depression, we need prayer. And we need the application of the scripture. The problem is sometimes the person who's depressed finds it very difficult to pray. The person who's deeply depressed finds it very difficult to find consolation from the word. So that's where we as the body of Christ, God's people, if we know people who are in a place like this, we have to pray for them. We have to encourage them with the word of God in those times when they're, they're maybe not even capable of doing that themselves. But other times, and we do need to, to take a lot of things into consideration. Whenever I talk to people who are struggling with depression, I spend a lot of time trying to get at what is the root here? Because if the root is purely spiritual, then we have to address it in a purely spiritual fashion. We have to deal with it just straight from that you know, scriptural prayer, God's word, faith. Uh, but if, if there's other elements that are there, maybe there's some physiological issue there, we, we have to take that into consideration as well. So when I talk to people who are struggling with depression, I ask them questions about their diet because sometimes it can be a change of diet that's necessary. I ask them about their exercising habits because sometimes it can be something like that that needs to be considered. And there are times, of course, in certain cases where medication is needed. And thank God we live in a time where there are medications that can help people. I have friends, pastors, guys who have been in ministry for years who have come under severe bouts of anxiety and depression, and thank God there was medication to help them over that hump, to get them to a place where they could get back to being able to think a little more clearly and and move beyond it. And, And I bring this up because some people say, oh, well, you know, as a Christian, you should never have to take any medication. Well, remember your brain is a physical organ, And just like any other organ in your body, it it can be, at times, it can be stricken with some kind of illness type of a thing, some physiological component there causing an imbalance and things like that. Sometimes people overlook that. Sometimes people think, well, you know, if if a person takes uh, medication to help them with depression or or anxiety or something, well, they're just not trusting God. Well, that's not necessarily the case. You wouldn't say to a diabetic, you know, if you take that insulin, you're not trusting God. You, would, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> if you did, you, that, that's a very dangerous thing to say, and it's a very foolish thing to say. So when it comes to depression, 
we have to recognize, yes, this is one of Satan's main instruments, discouragement, despair. And we've got to do our best to, to help those who are struggling with those things. So prayer, absolutely. Just like I shared with you about Newton and uh, Cooper. And applying the scripture, of course, absolutely. But sometimes we need to take into consideration the practical realm. And so these are some of the ways that Satan wars against our minds. And there are other things that we could talk about, but I think we get the picture here. But once again, let me remind you of the four primary things as we, as we fight this fight of faith against the enemy. We've got as our weapons the word, prayer, praise, faith. Those are the things that we have. And so we want to bring the word of God always to bear on all of these situations. This is why it's so important that we know the word of God. It's, it's why it's so important that we saturate our lives with biblical truth. Because the devil will come at us and he'll hit us from every side with these things. And we need to be able to respond and we're going to move on in a few weeks here and get into the armor of God. And we're going to talk about the place of the word of God. And we're going to see how the whole armor is essentially just different uh, facets of God's word. So we've got the word. We've got prayer. We need to pray when we're under attack, when we know people who are under attack. We need to pray. We need to pray for them. We need to ask people to pray for us at times. But, you know, we need to praise too. Because as we just call out to God, as we cry out to God, as we praise him, as we worship him, that will many times be the very thing that'll break that thing that the enemy has brought against us. As we pray and as the presence of the Lord comes to minister, that drives the enemy back. And then finally, there's faith, standing in faith, remembering who God is, remembering his promises and holding fast to them, standing on them, resisting the devil who goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And what does it say? Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that your, your brothers and sisters all around the world are experiencing the same afflictions. We're all going through the same thing in one way or another. And take comfort in that. You're not alone. A lot of times what the enemy wants to do is make you think you're the only person that's ever gone through this. You're the only person who's ever felt this way. You're the only person who's, who's ever thought these contemptible, wicked, vile thoughts. No, you're not. Because these are the tactics of the devil. And every believer, to some degree or another, experiences these things. But we stand fast in the faith, knowing that this is just part of the battle. And it's our faith in the end that overcomes the world and overcomes the devil. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. I want to tell you about one of my favorite biographies. I love biographies, and this book is so fantastic. It's called Out of the Black Shadows, and it's the story of a young man named Stephen Lungu, 
And let me just read you an excerpt from the back of the book. It says, instead of throwing bombs, he stayed to listen. What followed was better than fiction. So young man in Rhodesia, Africa, who comes into a tent meeting as a terrorist intending to blow everybody up and instead hears the gospel and this takes him on a journey throughout the rest of his life to proclaim the gospel to his people in Africa. So I love this book. I read it years ago. It's just been republished and that's Out of the Black Shadows and that's by Stephen Lungu and Anne Coombs with a foreword by Patrick Johnston, who was the evangelist preaching at the time when he attempted to burn down the tent. So check this book out. I think you're going to love it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Out of the Black Shadows by Stephen Lungu with Ann Coombs. You can order the book Out of the Black Shadows by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Out of the Black Shadows, by Stephen Lungu and Ann Coombs. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.